Tonight on Fig Tree Watchers, it's Saturday Apologetics. And tonight, we're asking this question. Is there an evidence that forgiveness brings to our faith? Is there an evidence that forgiveness brings to our faith? That is next here on Fig Tree Watchers. So stay tuned as we discuss this. And uh, welcome everyone. Uh, I hope you are having a fantastic weekend. I got to tell you that my day today could not have started out any better than it did at work. Look, work is really slow. It's very monotonous right now. It's really difficult. Um, sales are down dramatically. There's a lack of inventory because of, of the, I don't know, knuckle-headed theories of what's going on right now but it is it is not a great time to be a salesman um no product and lack of customers but what did god do for me today i was able uh to lead someone to jesus christ today uh, a black nurse from north carolina who i uh, thought she was coming in to look at a product and instead um got to hear the plan of salvation and she shed tears and when it was all said and done uh, she I asked her if she was ready to make Jesus Christ her Lord and Savior and she confessed with her mouth uh, that Jesus was Lord she asked God to forgive her of her sins and she believed that that God was raised from the dead and that he would one day resurrect her also from the dead she had faith and uh i prayed with her and it was awesome and i just want to tell you that because it was a glorious experience today to be able to lead someone to christ uh it happened in about 20 minutes of my time and her time and i was truly blown away that god used me today in that in that fashion and i just gotta tell you you never know when the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ is going to come. And if you would have told me it was going to happen at that moment, I, I would have laughed at you. But God brought that woman into my life like a divine appointment. And she received Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior today. And I am just joyful today that... Uh, I got to experience that. And I thanked God for that opportunity um, that I was able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with her. So I pray that each of you will look for the opportunity, whether it's at the grocery store, whether it's at the checkout stand, wherever you are, that you will look for the moment to let God bring the good news of Jesus Christ into someone's all, someone else's life. And uh, I got to tell you, it was just all day long. I was uh, just celebrating and so excited that I was able to lead someone to Jesus and um, that God used me at that moment. And I'm, I'm telling you this not to brag on me because I, I'm not boasting in myself. I am boasting in Jesus Christ. I am celebrating what Christ did today. I didn't save her. Christ saved her. I was the guy that planted the seed and watered it and God did all the growing. And somebody else did the prep work. I'm sure of it. 
somebody else actually probably planted the seed. I just was the knucklehead that God chose to be there at the right time who said, okay, here I am, Lord, choose me, right? And uh, so I'm excited about it. I'm just, uh, I, I called my wife, I called my sister, I called, you know, a, a friend of mine, uh, texted him, hey, Derek, guess what? I led someone to Christ this, today. And I was just, I was so enthralled uh, to do that. So, and I called Brother Io, of course, from Himitsu Study um, and told him, he was jazzed. It was just awesome. And so I just want to tell you that. I, I think it's awesome when God grants us that opportunity. Tonight, we're talking about forgiveness, and um, we're going to ask this question. Why is forgiveness an evidence of God and our faith in Jesus Christ? Why is it an evidence? You know, not too many people really talk about forgiveness as being an apologetic, but forgiveness is. It's actually the proof. And so tonight, if you wouldn't mind, join me as we go to 1 John tonight. And we're going to look at 1 John chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 5 through 10. And what I love about what John does in this, in this chapter is he's really going to break it down for us. And he's going to contrast different statements one right after the other. He's going to give you contrasting statements. Okay. Um, he's going to give you what the darkness is and what the light is. And he's going to keep doing that throughout this passage. And I want you to pay attention to it. Because it's the believer and the unbeliever are the contrasting statements here. He's going to demonstrate both to us. So let's take a look at this. And we're going to see just how powerful it is. And we're going to look at this congruently through scripture. Okay? Starting in verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and declared to you. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. By the way, I want you to underline that word all there. I'm going to get back to it in a moment, okay? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Okay, let's unpack this because I hope I get this all in the next hour and I'm going to apologize to you, but this is really one of the most crucial passages of the apologetics of our faith. It's forgiveness. So let's go to verse 5 and let's unpack this. This is a message that we have heard from him and declared to you. So John, number one, is stating something that is very important. Remember, in the first part of chapter 1, he's actually telling you, as an eyewitness account, I saw him, I looked upon him, I I looked on his hands, I've handled him, I touched him, uh, concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested and we have seen So John is giving you an eyewitness account here that is so critical. He's telling you, I saw, I heard, I touched. I had all the senses at work and I saw Jesus resurrected. He's telling you. Now he's telling you, look, this is a message I heard directly from Jesus. I need you to understand this and I want you to declare it to you. And what's that message? That God is light and in him there's no darkness. This is the first thing that we have to understand. 
There is no darkness whatsoever in God. Now, this is important because a lot of people want to misconstrue a lot of scriptures. For example, here's one that gets misconstrued all the time. It gets misunderstood. It gets misinterpreted. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Well, here we have a problem, right? Because in Ecclesiastes, it says that God hates no one. So people take that verse and they misconstrue it. What is God actually talking about there then? He's not talking about Jacob, the individual, and Esau, the individual. On the contrary, he's talking about Jacob, the nation of Israel, and Esau, the, the people, uh, his, his people, the people of Esau, the Edomites. Sorry, I couldn't think of the word. The Edomites, right? Now, this is so important because we understand that because of their wickedness, God is going to wipe out the Edomites. It's because of their wickedness. Where do we get this from? Real quickly, and that's a whole nother night's discussion, but it's prophecy and you should know it. And it's from Obadiah chapter one and Jeremiah 49, where God says, I will wipe out the people of Esau because of their wickedness. So he wipes out Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because of their wickedness. He, he can't stand evil and there is no darkness whatsoever in God. The another thing that we need to understand of this is he's telling you to you need to know God, right? So we know that God hates no one for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish. But if but anyone who believes will, will have everlasting life, right? Just butchered that verse really badly. Um, so it's about believing him for God so loved the world. So now we can take that whole misconstrued statement of Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated. And we can understand that God loves all mankind. He does. And so we can take that verse that says he doesn't want anyone to perish, but that all man might be saved through Jesus Christ. So he literally means all men everywhere, everyone everywhere, like Acts says. So that's important to understand. And James tells us that God does not change like the shifting of shadows. So he's not going to change. He's always going to be that way. That's why Thessalonians, Paul says, God is faithful and he will do it. He is always faithful. So John is identifying this important aspect of him, that there's no darkness whatsoever in, in God. So now this is important because here comes the contrasting statement that we need to understand that is real important. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. Why? Because if we walk in darkness... We cannot be in fellowship with God because there is no darkness with God. So if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we're liars. And we do not practice the truth. This is verse six. This is so important. You know why? Why is this so important? Because this whole part right here of we do not practice the truth, it smacks of Matthew chapter seven. Uh, verses 21 through 23. And I'm just going to tell you it real quickly in a paraphrased version. Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in your name. We have cast demons out in your name. And Jesus will say, depart from me, you who are wicked, you who practice iniquity, for I know you not. Whoa, whoa, they were practicers of iniquity, but they prophesy in your name. Well, how, well, how do we know that their prophecies were fake? Remember, we learned that last night. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of all prophecy. We got that from the book of Revelation, right? 
I know I'm moving fast here, so stay with me. You're probably going to want to podcast this tomorrow because I'm going to be moving through a lot of things really fast, really quickly, and I apologize. Yeah, so how do we know if someone is prophesying correctly? Because the testimony of Jesus is at the core of all prophecy that's being made. It is the spirit of prophecy that comes from the Holy Spirit. It testifies to Jesus. If your prophecy is of selfish ambition or vain conceit, it's not from God. And so, Lord, Lord, we cast demons out in your name. We heal the sick in your name. We, we prophesied in your name. Depart from me, you who practice iniquity. For I know you not. You see, they thought they were saved, but because they lived and practiced iniquity, they weren't. Look, the question isn't once saved, always saved. Please, I want you to understand, this is the, the trappings of a, of a diabolical scheme to deceive you into not following the truth. Someone asked me this very night, this very question. And I said, you know what? Be the disciple of Jesus Christ and you have nothing to worry about. It's not about once saved, always saved. The question that everyone should be asking is, are you really saved? Are you really following Jesus? If you think that you can practice iniquity, guess what John is saying? You're not really saved. You're not really saved because you're a liar. You're a liar. It's not once saved, always saved isn't the big thing. It's Look, if you're continually practicing iniquity and living out in sin, you really weren't saved in the first place. You were among us, but not of us, as the scripture says. Now, here comes the contrasting statement again. He contrasts again. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So it's someone who walks in the light. Look, Stefan, you sound like you're talking like we can lose our salvation. Oh, no, I believe in eternal security. I know I'm saved. Why? Because I walk in the light of the Lamb and I continue to walk in forgiveness. I'm asking God to forgive me. And this is why it's so important. What is the sign that you are forgiven by God and you have taken that forgiveness seriously? It's a changed life. It's a changed life. It's a dramatically changed life. It's one that says, oh God, I don't want to be selfish anymore. I don't want vanity anymore. I don't want to self-love anymore. I want to love you and I want to love others. I want to be changed in the name of Jesus. Man. And so we realize that we've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. Look, 1 Corinthians 6.11, real quickly, I want to take you there. And I'm, I'm going to stop just for a moment. I want to take you there. He says, starting in verse 9, and I apologize. We're going to start 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. There is this powerful thing that comes from Jesus and Paul throughout the New Testament. Don't be deceived. And he comes in and he says, listen. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves. By the way, I love that. He doubles down on both statements. Homosexuals and sodomites, right? Okay? Then he goes on. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners 
will inherit the kingdom of God. None of those people will inherit the kingdom of God. None of them. And such were some of you. And I love this. Hey, by the way, some of these people, they were you. You were once one of them, but you're not now. Why? What's the difference? What, cha what changed you from the old man to the new man in Christ Jesus? What transformed you and renewed your mind? And such were some of you, but you were washed. By the way, this is salvation. You want to know what the definition of salvation is? What, listen to this. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Woo! Listen to this. Washed, forgiven, sanctified, sealed for the day of redemption. Ephesians 4.30. And justified, justified, right? By, by God himself through Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus. You were justified by the Spirit and by the Spirit of God. By the way, anybody wants to know where the verse for the Trinity is? It's right there. I don't know if you guys saw it, right? In the name of Jesus and by the Spirit, Holy Spirit of God. One God, all three right there in the statement. Told you this is an apologetic Saturday. I got to point out all the apologetics for you so you can believe in the Trinity right there in that verse and understand what your salvation is really about. It's being washed Forgiven, sealed for, by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption, sanctified and justified. Why? By God through Jesus Christ. But what he did on the cross, you are justified by Christ. It's awesome. Okay, so going back to John. So we understand that he cleanses us from all sin. I told you to underline that word all. Now here, the Calvinist loves the word all. They finally agree with me. All means all here, right? Right. It's awesome. It's a beautiful thing. And it also means all when it says Christ died for all mankind. He died for everyone everywhere. Acts. It means all people. He died for them all. Because God so loved the world. He so loved the world. Why do we know that this is true? Because of John 16. By the way, the same guy that wrote John 3.16, same disciple who wrote this epistle, wrote also John 16.8. Do you guys know what John 16.8 is? You should know it. Because this just completely throws a monkey wrench into some people's theology. Right. Let's look at it real quick. I wasn't planning on going there, so give me a second to jump there real quick. You guys should know this verse, and you should have it in your piggy bank of Bible memorization. John 16. Listen, I'm going to tell you, lead you to this first verse though, right? Verse 13. The spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. He will speak on his, his own authority. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me, who? Jesus Christ. And he will take care of what is mine and declare it to you. He will declare it to you. So who is this? This is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is telling you there's a distinction between him and the Holy Spirit. But it's important. He guides you to all truth. Now, here's the verse you need to have in your piggy bank. Let's look at this. Verse 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment and of sin. Because, why? 
because they do not believe in me. Wait a moment. Wait a moment. You mean God sends the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, of judgment and righteousness because man doesn't believe? That's right. So before man believes and because man doesn't believe, God sends the Holy Spirit to convict man so that they will believe. Yes. <gasps> Whoa, that throws a monkey wrench in my Calvinist doctrine. Good. Throw it out the door because it's man-made. Stick to the scripture. Always stick to the scripture. Sorry, Calvinist. I didn't mean to bum you out tonight. I know. You can send your hate mail tomorrow and I'll still forgive you. All right. Now let's have some fun again. Let's get back to the scripture. <laughs> I'm having a little too much fun here. I know. I know. Okay. So now verse 8. And if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Okay, this is so important. This is so important. Because number one, before faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? And Second Corinthians chapter 7 tells us, verse 10, that godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation, right? So you've got to be made sorrowful. And by the Holy Spirit that convicts you before you're ever a Christian, according to John 16, right? And now you come to this place where you have to acknowledge your sin. You have to go, oh, wait a moment. I'm a sinner. Oh, this is horrible. Godly sorrow. I tell you what, it was so beautiful to see this woman crying today. She was weeping for tears because she realized it. And she was saying, God, forgive me of my sins. It was awesome. It was so awesome to hear that. She naturally, by the Spirit of the Lord, was crying out, Abba, Father, forgive me for my sins. I believe on Jesus. It was awesome. Now, if we don't confess our sins, right? We say, I don't have any sin. So I'm coming to God because I'm perfect. I'm already made right because I haven't done anything wrong. Guess what? You're a liar. You're a liar. You deceive yourself. You're a liar. And the truth is not in us. Well, who's the truth? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you. Jesus is said, I am the way, the truth, and life, right? Holy Spirit guides you to all truth. And who is the truth? Jesus is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and life, Jesus said. So the Holy Spirit guides you to, to all truth. He guides you to Jesus so that you'll believe in Jesus. Oh, whoa. You mean I got to be guided before I believe? Yes. But how can a dead man, how can a dead man come to faith? He has to be regenerated before. No, he has to be guided to be belief. This whole dead man concept is malarkey. Because you're just dead in your trespasses. You're dead in your sin. But the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin so that you'll believe and become alive through Jesus Christ. Look, God does the convicting. He sent the Holy Spirit. God does the godly sorrow that produces the godly repentance, the work of God in you that leads you by the Holy Spirit to believing. Oh, man. And that's why 1 John 1, 9 is so famous. For if we confess our sin, here's the contrasting statement, right? From the one who denies the sin and is deceived. Now here comes the contrasting statement to the believer. So first he's speaking to the unbeliever. If you don't believe you've sinned, you're a liar. You've been deceiving yourself and the truth of Christ is not in you. Verse 8, to the sinner. Verse 9, to the believer. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, confession is good. Repentance is good. Yes, it is. Because God produced the repentance. It's not a work of man. It's a work of God. 
done because God does everything. That's why this is going to be so amazing when I get done. You're going to be mind blown. It's going to blow your mind. Get ready, people. Okay? Now he says it. Verse 10, contrasting statement to the sinner. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Once again, John is saying, you're a liar. If you don't repent of your sins when you come to Jesus, you're saying you have no sin and you're a liar. And the word and the truth is not in The word, his word is not in us. The Bible, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God's not in you. You're a liar. You have to confess your sin. You have to admit that you're a sinner. You have to acknowledge your sin and repent of it. That's why Jesus said in Mark 1, he said, he preached the gospel. He went out and he said, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. He started his ministry out. Repent and believe in the gospel. Wow. Okay. So you're right. A dead man can't do it. The Holy Spirit leads everyone to repentance. They guide you in the process. They teach you. By the way, this is the most beautiful thing in, in that scripture in John 16. The three ways we come to Christ. We come to Christ because we come because of our sin. Oh man, my sin is bad. Another person can come to Christ because of the righteousness of somebody else. They look at someone, they go, man, I want what they have. Why are they so happy all the time? Why are they so joyful all the time? I want what they have. Or they come because of judgment. They're like, oh, I'm going to hell. I'm, I'm afraid of hell. God, free me from hell. And they come because of that. They're afraid of the judgment of their sin. The Holy Spirit convicts in all three ways. Because that's how much God loves us. Because he understands that not all of us think the same way. And so God reaches us where we are at. He does the whole beautiful process. The Calvinist almost got it right. God does everything in the process. He does the convicting through the Holy Spirit. He does, brings the godly sorrow on us. He brings, produces the repentance. It's not a work of man, but a work of God. And the Holy Spirit then leads us to all truth, Jesus Christ. He guides us to our salvation, Jesus. That if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For with the heart one believes and, and with the mouth one confesses. Right? I know I'm messing up that verse right now. But I want to make this super clear for you. Let's look at what the Old Testament says. And I want you to see the congruency of what John is teaching here. It's congruently found in the Old Testament. Let's look at Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. And I want you to tell me if this doesn't sound the same way. And then we're going to see what forgiveness actually does and accomplishes. It's so beautiful. Okay? Starting in verse 18 of chapter 7 of Micah. Who is a God like you? Right? We can say no one, right? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. Right? What's the heritage that he's referring to? The remnant of his heritage. It's the covenant made with Abraham. Right? That his people would be like the sands of the sea. 
right? And Paul tells us that that covenant of Abraham extends to us, the church, that we are a part of that covenant. That's so cool to understand. So when Paul is referring to predestination, he's referring to the mechanism of Israel and the church. Both of them are of the covenant of Abraham. We are the people of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, the churches and Israel. And so we are the foreknown because God made the covenant with Abraham because he foreknew that the church was coming and Israel was coming out of Abraham, right? Therefore, those he foreknew, he predestined through Abraham by believing in Jesus. And Romans chapter 11 makes that argument that we are of the branch and Israel is of the branch. We believe and Israel will one day be saved. Oh, beautiful. Israel's going to believe one day. It's a prophecy of Paul. And I tell you what, if you're going to believe any prophecy, believe that one because number one, it's in the Bible. Number two, it's from Paul. And number three, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of all prophecy. They will believe on Jesus, right? Zechariah 12.10, you will look on me whom you pierced and you will mourn for me like a son. I love that. Israel will believe. Now let's go on. He does not retain his anger forever. God doesn't retain his anger forever. I love that. Because he delights in mercy. Here's that character of God that you get to know. He delights in mercy, right? We talked about this earlier in the early part of this study today. He delights in mercy. Here's that character, thing about God. He's faithful. He never changes, okay? There's no darkness found in him. He hates no one. He, God loves the world that he created. And he delights in mercy and will again have compassion on us and he will subdue, I love this word, subdue our iniquities. How does he do that? Through Jesus. Now, here's my favorite verse. Just, oh, it's awesome. It's, it's my favorite verse when it comes to forgiveness because I have so many favorite verses. You will cast out all our sins into the depth of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. By the way, here's the promise to Jacob. Here's the promise to Abraham, right? The covenant of Abraham. But I love this. You will cast out all our sins into the depth of the sea. Here's one verse that God says he throws our sea, our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. He forgets it. This is um, Micah 7, 18 through 20. He throws in the sea which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. Right, why? Because God keeps his word. He keeps his promises. He's gonna be faithful. As Second, as First Thessalonians says at the end of the fifth chapter, Paul says he is faithful and he will do it. He will do it because God will accomplish every promise he makes. Every promise. Why do I believe in eternal security? Because I have confessed my sins to the Lord. I believe eternally that he is my justifier, my sanctifier, and he is the one who washes me clean. I have nothing to worry about because I'm going to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And God is faithful and he will do all things to accomplish his will because he loves me. And as 1 John 1, 9 says, he is faithful and he will forgive you of all your sins. He's faithful. You confess him. 
So daily I come to the foot of the cross as a believer and confess my sins. God, forgive me of my lust. Forgive me of my anger. Forgive me when I lost my temper. Forgive me for this. Forgive me for that. Forgive me when I lied. Lord, let your truth be in me. And you know what I, I, I rejoice in? Because this is the best part. And I tell people this all the time. If God is constantly convicting you to grow you and sanctifying you, he's going to convict you because God disciplines those he loves. He loves. Okay. So, Stefan, the proof that you said earlier, the evidence that you laid out for us, is that forgiveness is an evidence of our God and our faith in Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Well, what, what did you mean by that? Okay. Let me wrap this up for you because I'm, man, I, I can't believe I'm almost halfway done with this. Whew. Man, I need something to drink real quick. Okay. A little iced tea there. Love iced tea. Um, all right. This is so important because I want you to understand this. Here it is. I'm going to run through a bunch of scriptures for you because I want you to have these and you should have these written down. Ephesians 4.32. Someone wants to put these up on the, on the, on the screen right there. Awesome. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. A Christian lives by the forgiveness that God gave them by forgiving other people. Okay? This is so important in our Christian, as evidence of our faith. The Christian forgives others as Christ forgave them. Okay? Now, here's another one. And it's Mark eleven twenty five. But whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone... So that your father also who's in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. That's Mark eleven twenty five. You can actually go Mark eleven twenty three through 25, right? It is so important to understand because what he's saying there is when you're praying and you're asking God to give you something, the needs that you have in your life, forgive, forgive. All week long, we have been talking about the oppression of this world, how to overcome a tormented soul by what you see and hear in the world each day, right? We got that from 2 Peter. Well, tonight we're learning the final crux of that, and that is to forgive others. Forgiving others is part of the evidence that we have of a changed life. Forgiveness is one of the key evidences that we have. Because we forgive others. Do you know that um, psychiatrists tell us that 80% of the people who are struggling with mental illness, they're struggling because of unforgiveness of others. They can't forgive others. Listen, the lie that Satan is telling the world and deceiving the world is forgive yourself. Well, you're not God. You can't forgive yourself. You can forgive God. You can forgive. I mean, you can ask God to forgive you and you can forgive others but you can't forgive yourself because you're not God. And God doesn't need forgiveness because he hasn't done anything wrong, right? God forgives you. So you can receive forgiveness and you can forgive others, but the forgiveness has to come from God. You can't forgive yourself because you're not a God and you're not God. There's only one God, hero Israel, and you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. 
Your forgiveness of others is based on the love that you have for God and for others. It's based in love, right? First Peter chapter four, verse seven, right? It says that you should be of sound mind and sober spirit because the end of all things is near. But above all, love one another for love covers a multitude of sins. Paul wrote in Galatians that the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, love your neighbor as yourself. What's the law fulfilled in? Loving God, loving others. First John, okay, uh, not, not first John, John 13, 34 and 35. I'm sorry, I'm going through so many verses here. My brain's going, right? A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another even as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So love comes with forgiveness, right? So I love this. Luke 17, verses three and four. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns out, turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive me. Forgive him. Forgive him. You know what I love? Is how many times should I forgive my brother if someone came to Jesus and asked? 70 times seven, right? You calculate that out, right? That's 490 times. That's the exact number of years that God punished Israel in the Old Testament, 490 years. One time for every forgiveness, 70 times seven. That's why Jesus uses that number, 70 times seven, because that's how many years of punishment they received, but God forgave them. It's awesome. The whole Bible is just perfect that way. It's just amazing to me, okay? Matthew 6, 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Colossians 3, 13. Colossians 3, 13, listen to this. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Wow. And of course, I went over that one from... The, the 70 times seven, right? And then here's another one, James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. By the way, this is important. Why? Because here, James is telling you exactly what psychiatrists were telling you. If you forgive and you pray, you may be healed. You may be healed of the mental illness, the depression that you're suffering from, all the angst of it. A prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. James 5.16. James 5.16. And then we have to remember this because it's the great story of forgiveness. Jesus is up on the cross, right? Jesus is up there. Luke 23.34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do and they cast lots to divide his garments. As Jesus is saying, forgive them, Father, for they know what they do. What are they doing? They're casting lots. They're gambling for the clothes of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Crazy. 
Crazy. Crazy. And remember last night we talked about this from Philippians 4.8. And I just want to remind you of this to, to bring it home from actually Thursday night. I'm sorry. Thursday night we talked about this. That to avoid the oppression of this world, we talked about meditating on everything that is good, right? Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, meditate on these things, right? Well, what's worthy of praise? Forgiveness. Reconciliation. Now, here's the the, the part that I think is just absolutely critical. We are called to be ambassadors of reconciliation. You know how that being an ambassador of reconciliation starts? It's like reconciling the person who's hurt against you to heal the hurt. 70% of all unchurched Christians in a recent poll said they weren't attending church because of church hurt. Somebody in the church, whether it was a pastor most of the time it was, or a member of the church or a board of deacon or somebody hurt them deeply. So they don't go to church because they're hurt. I want you to understand this. If we're disciples of Jesus Christ and we're ambassadors of reconciliation, we're reconciling people back to Jesus, but especially the believer in forgiveness. Forgiveness is the evidence that God is real in our life and it comes because of love. God's love for us, our love for him, and our love for others. This is the key. Forgiveness is bound in love. And to truly love someone is to be supernaturally changed by God. That's the evidence. It's the evidence. Man. So good. It's so good. The scripture is. The word of God is. Look, I know I rattled off a million scriptures tonight. Not quite. But quite a bit. Quite a few scriptures tonight. But I wanted you to understand how important, how important repentance is. How important forgiveness is. How important love is in the relationship of a Christian because a supernaturally changed life is the evidence. You want proof of that? Look at the disciples. They scattered when Jesus was being crucified. When they saw the risen Lord, they were bold in their faith, full of love, full of forgiveness towards one another. And they all were willing to die for their faith. They were radically changed by forgiveness. So please, live out a life worthy of the forgiveness that God has given you. Live it out. Live it out. Because as 1 John tells us, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Walk in the light.
That's it. That's it. That is it. And um, all I can say is thank you, God, (laughs) that you loved us enough to die for us, to shed your blood for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you saved a wretch like me through grace, what you did on the cross. I am so unworthy of it, Lord, but yet you loved me enough to die for me. Thank you. Thank you. So I hope all this week, this joyously causes you to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice in what Jesus has done for you. Let people see the joy of the Lord in you because of the forgiveness that he has done for you of your very sins. Let that joy shine brightly. Let it surround you and embrace you and put aside all of your anger and your malice and your wrath and all those things and let God's grace shine brightly on you with love and his forgiveness and his and his grace that's my hope for you with that i will see you monday as we get back into the gospel of mark and uh I look forward to talking to you. I hope this was a great start to your Sunday worship and uh, that God just does something wonderful in your weekend and go share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone tonight, okay? Or tomorrow. God bless everyone. Fig Tree Watchers, out.